ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. And if you're not ready, you're going to stay pretending that you're just a little, poor little me. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power. The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. Everybody is I. You all know you are you. And wheresoever beings exist throughout all galaxies, it doesn't make any difference. You are all of them. And when they come into being, that's you coming into being. Hola amigos, mi nombre es Alex. Muchas gracias para Dan y Chris para podcasts y videos. Loving them all. Keep them going and I hope you're going to do some more great work. See you soon. Hey, what's up everyone? Hope you're all doing well. Mucho gracias, mi amigo. Thank you so much to Alex. A really cool message there. We absolutely love that, by the way. And thank you so much for everyone else who's sending over these voice messages. It's really cool as it really does highlight the reach of the community and lets us see where you are all from and if you would also like to send a message just record a quick 15 to 20 second audio saying who you are what you're up to and where in the world you're located it doesn't have to be recorded on any fancy mics all you need to do is just grab your mobile phone and simply just record on there and send them over so anyway this week we're joined by Jan Kersmik this was another podcast from our time at the Glastonbury Symposium this is a really interesting conversation and Jan really is a guy who has spent a huge chunk of his life immersed in the world of sustainability and organic farming and he's the author of many books in the area of nature and alternative living and he's also wrote many highly credible articles and just being completely immersed in areas such as organic farming, health and well-being, medical herbalism and environmental issues. But what's very interesting about Jan's story is that he actually started out, I think it was in engineering, and he was writing technical material for scientific engineering companies. And with his own growing interest in health and well-being in the environment and nature, he turned his background from engineering and physics in areas such as medical herbalism, sustainability, and organic farming. And what's really interesting about Jan is that he's been literally probably the biggest player for the past 30 years in this whole area. And he's been completely immersed in this entire conversation for at least 30 years, which is really interesting. And I think, as you will see, he has a very interesting perspective on how we can actually improve our relationship with nature and improve our relationship with the planet. He really is an interesting guy on an interesting journey and one of his key concerns is the blending of science and nature and through this how can we improve our interaction with nature which is a really good question. So anyway if you want to support the podcast you can do that for our Patreon page and if you feel that these conversations do add value in your life or even just get you through the day or whatever please just consider supporting us. We're never going to run ads on this podcast as you know. And Patreon really is a great way for you to support us. We're living in a world now, as you know, where we do have the ability to choose and support things that we want to see more of. And by you even donating just $2 a month, or even just doing the one-off donation option that which we also have now, will allow us to keep pushing this podcast forward. And we're not saying you have to support us, as we understand and know that some people just simply cannot. The podcast is always going to be free, but we just see Patreon as sort of a one-off, in the one-off donation option as well, as sort of like a tip system. Where if you're walking down the street and you've seen a musician playing, you would give him a tip. So anyway, enjoy this episode with Jan Kersman. So many places to take this, by the way. Really, really been looking forward to having a conversation with you today. Um, the first place I would love to take this is, I mean, I know that you've been a, you've been a prolific researcher in organic growing, um, organic methods and stuff like that. Um, but what actually, 
the first place I would love to go is what actually, what was it that inspired you to sort of research an organic um, farming and organic sustainable methods? What was it that inspired you to do that? I think it's a question of age as much as anything else. Mm. Unlike yourself, um, I remember farming in a form that no longer really exists. Uh, So it was mostly family farms, uh, mostly mixed farming, and short supply lines, if you like, to the market. So there were market places. There's a lot of English people... Uh, go abroad and they love going to French markets or other markets and they say oh wow you know we wish well in in my lifetime that's what we were doing Um, nothing unusual in that and uh, I think that the way that I was lucky in being brought up in the countryside anyway I was in a place called Aylesbury in um, Buckinghamshire it's a small market town. Traditional uh, sort of story is that you could walk around the market square without touching dry land. You go there today, and it's uh, really suburbia. Yeah. Um, it's changed dramatically. So for me, uh, it isn't me that has changed or started to research. It's me thinking, why is everything changing? Mm-hmm. It's almost the reverse of what you're saying. Uh, my first experience of um, farming, if you like, mm-hmm. was when I was, uh, I don't know, possibly six, uh, which is one I've just re- related at the symposium, was looking out of my bedroom window and seeing the garden filled with um, packets that had been placed on sticks where my mother had planted, my grandmother had planted some annuals. When I asked what had happened, I was told, it's the fairies. <laughs> And uh, I think there was a lot of truth in that uh, because when you start thinking outside the box, which most science sits in, if you, I'm sure, been to university, you know that the whole object of university is the opposite of the name. Yeah. You know, you're going to study, you're going to go in that box, and if you dare write a thesis or paper that does not have a lot of references after it, then it's not going to be accepted, which means that you cannot think freely because there is no evidence or proof that what you say is of any relevance (laughs) or interest whatsoever. So, um, so starting from there, I suppose what uh, happened, uh, because I was working in a science-based industry in uh, everyday life, then gardening was my recreation. And, of course, when you start gardening, as most of us do as amateurs, you don't know what to do, you read the book. Well, of course, think about it. I was reading books that were written in the 1930s. So the books in 1930 were emphasizing manures and so on. It was not until the 50s, 60s that we started to get NPK, or scientific, if you like, gardening, or techno-gardening, and herbicides and pesticides, and suddenly... Um, for example, there were products that you could buy that would kill worms. Well, that to me was a bit... Well, hang on. My science training tells me that really things are pretty harmonious in the world of physics. That's what it is. We have lots of laws. So I don't think it's a very good idea to go interfering with them. In other words, why kill worms? They must be there for a purpose. Mm-hmm. That's what started me off simple as that well that is really fascinating yeah. how that symbiotic relationship with nature actually cultivated you to understand that like let's start working with it instead of again against it well it, 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 it really is obvious for most people let, let me give you a point where i said the 1930s if you go back to victorian period on a bowling green or a lawn of a lordship or ladyship the undergardeners would be sent out to brush up all the worm casts those little um pyramids of poo that are left by worms in the grass and that would be taken back to the potting shed oh well you know that was just things that victorians did because it was fine soil but today we have discovered that worm casts are um, almost magical fertilizer in themselves Mm 
uh, they're used by a lot of professional flower growers because for some reason the color of the flower is more intense now what I would say to you is well hang on um, color is only vibration so physics talking here so if if one flower color is more intense then the intensity means that I am receiving more vibration or wavelength than from something else because the flower itself is only a reflector or is it a reflector yeah. or is it now giving off an intensity which we might call vitality now at that point of course you move away from what most people would call hard science and start freaking out because well you're talking about um, Elan Vital you know the idea of of an implied spirituality in this that and the other well <clears throat> okay uh, that would be Richard Dawkins uh, talking because he's a materialistic scientist but there is uh, if you look in science itself uh, we know that below matter uh, there is energy so it's at that stage that I fall out with the materialistic scientist because we have more energy than we do have matter and so on and so forth. So I'm quite happy to say in simplistic terms, well, this organic, if you like, plant has uh, more value to it. Mm -hmm. Now at that stage, then you have to start applying modern science in terms of can you prove that it's more nutritious or can you prove... Um, because uh, look at the way that Prince Charles has been denigrated by people over the years because he has had the courage to support organic farming. Now whether he's bonkers or not, um, the organic movement has grown as a result of that sort of patronage. Mm -hmm. do, you see, do you see the organic movement in the future keep, continue to keep growing or do you think that it'll, that processes of sort of the way the, way the, uh, the modern day world's moving so quick, do you think that will actually hinder that? Or do you see, or do you see resurgence now with more and more people actually trying to go back to the old ways and wanting organic, more organic uh, produce? Are you seeing that now? Yeah, I, I, would, I would challenge the use of the word old ways. Um, I, I would say normal. Yeah, normal, that's better. I like that. Normal ways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because... Um, there is a difference in uh, our ages mm -hmm. and what to you is traditional farming is actually high input farming uh, is uh, technological farming uh, but let's go back to this global issue of what, what is implied by what you're saying criticism label, uh, leveled at organic farming would be that it can't sustain the world yeah I was going to ask you that question actually I yeah. to ask you that. now let, let's go back to um, the 1940s, 50s. The health of the nation was very good during the Second World War. That's easily readable. Yeah, definitely. The health of the nation before the Second World War was pretty awful because most people ate chunks of white bread, far too much of it, and too much sweet tea. So the working class were undernourished. Now let's not confuse quantity of food with nourishment. Not the same thing. You can be malnourished and have a lot of food. Get swollen bellies because you have the wrong food. In the 1950s, well, just the end of the 40s, we had change of government to socialism. Socialism, Labour Party, of course, uh, we're looking back at the anachronistic landowners of the aristocrats, etc., Mm -hmm. many of whom were pro, mostly pro-fascist, by the way. So there was no love lost between them. And the brave new world of Huxley, whom part of that brave new world of uh, was agriculture, well, we nearly starved during the war. So not unnaturally, the government said, what we want is more productivity. Now, the way to get that is with modern farming. Modern farming means um, technology. It also means fertilizers, etc. Now then you began to see the first grains of what today we call agribusiness and corporate farming. I would go back to your original question about sustainability 
and challenge you and say, is modern farming sustainable? Answer is clearly not. Because you are reading time after time that, well, uh, the only way forward that we have now is genetically modified materials. They're talking about even 3D printing food now as well. Have you heard about that? Yeah. What about what about the nitrates in the water? What about the fact that uh, we have more and more diseases in plants and we're using more and more chemicals mm. and we're suddenly finding that because we have to grow pigs and cattle in close communities, they have to have antibiotics. Now, we need new antibiotics and so on. So modern-day farming is not sustainable in its present form. For those of us who live in an urban society, we are quite unrelated to farming today. So the big issue for me is that the social change is that we have kids at the back end of London, I don't know about Durham, who have never been on a farm and still didn't appreciate where an egg comes from. And when they do, they say, ugh, ugh. You know, it should be sanitized. Um, So when you start looking at that, then we're divorced from our natural surroundings. Mm -hmm. If we are then divorced from it, what are we being fed? We're being fed a diet of technology which keeps us occupied whereas previously we were occupied in growing things and making a technology that supported growing things. Today, if you travel up and down the motorway and look in fields, you'll see black and white cows. You'll see enormous udders, Mm -hmm. and the whole thing is built for productivity. If you look at beef cattle, you'll often see ground where there are huge French cattle which have been imported, Charolais, for example. Now, we're so divorced, we don't stop and think, ah, cows walking on land compacts land. Compacts land means that we have to plough differently or we have to harrow that land, etc. We don't even think of that. But when some village somewhere or other, or when some new housing development uh, suddenly floods, we start screaming blue murder that the government should do something. Mm -hmm. Because the runoff from the compacted soil is a problem, just as it is when they say, well, it's because we use concrete and it runs over. Well, you've created concrete ground. So there are many, many aspects that say that modern farming is not sustainable. Can we feed the planet? Well, let's take a town of 12,000. If you take 12,000 acres, it's generally accepted that that should be feed of far, uh, a 12,000 population. One acre per person. And that should provide all the vegetables, um, animal products, etc., that you would need. So that's called a proximity pro- principle. If it was only just down the road, it wouldn't be a problem. That's what it was, m- for me, like in the 40s because the man that delivered the milk came in a cart with a horse and a big aluminium or metal container and then a little jug which he dripped down which measured out pints of milk and that had been in that cow probably three or four hours before that was live milk now today we have UHD milk, we have pasteurised milk, we have organic pasteurised milk, we have a whole variety of materials which have been denuded of materials which are the micronutrients that keep us healthy. We do know this because you're of a generation where the National Health Service is saying we can't cope. Not just with old people, nobody's suggesting we bump them off. Not yet, anyway. But the point <laughs> is, it's not it's not Logan's run yet. Is yeah, it? <laughs> no, it isn't yet. <laughs> but we're not far off saying we can't cope. What can't we cope with? Well, it's the modern diseases, and the government tries incredibly hard to say, look, balance carbohydrates with proteins. Please don't feed your children this. Understand that. Uh, 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 a certain type of drink is actually mainly sugar 
that you think is good and that there are different types of sugar like fructose and so on and so forth. So I think when we talk about the organic movement, it's not just about buying organic bread in Sainsbury's. It's a much more economic and social uh, aspect that we have to consider. It's a complete lifestyle change for everyone. A lifestyle change, yes. Mm -hmm. Do you... Oh, oh, no, sorry. I was just going to say, I think a lot of people need... need, um, to more self-educate as well on the understanding of what's actually being put in the bodies. I mean, they're, they're relying too much on their parents or and their parents are just relying on blind faith from what their parents were told. And so I think somewhere down the line, there becomes there needs to be some sort of self-education into the process of what's the right um, nutrients for me? What's the right vitamins for me? What, where can I really find locally grown source? Some people have never tried a true, like a vegetable which can which is fully grown and through do love. You, and I like that point. And do you, to do that as well, would you like to see, this is a question I had for you in my head as well, but to do that, what Chris has said, the education process, would you like to see this actually implemented in schools where a young child could actually maybe spend a day on the farm or spend the day on an organic farm? Would you could you, would, would that be a possibility in your head? Yeah, I mean, the starting point is organic or not, is to get uh, children related yeah. to... Uh, to the rural countryside. Um, we can't go back in time, we can only go forward. That, that's, that's pretty obvious. But we should, you say educate, I would say appreciate. Uh, I think it's a question of appreciation for the planet that we live on and the part of the planet that we live on. If you take, we, we say farming, this is true. Um, Durham, I remember uh, from when I went there last, uh, being in a van looking out the window at night because I couldn't afford to stay anywhere, so kept it in the van. That's what we did to come here. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we still like back, it. Where, where do you see your repeating history? <laughs> and I, well, I could see were flames because, of course, you had all the furnaces and others and uh, uh, mines and things that were going. But outside of that area, I'd come up for the countryside. Now, I would say that the problem is that that within Durham itself, we are so sanitised that even if they're taken out, they have to go with the teacher at the back, teacher at the front. Mm. They must have their equipment and their safety assessment. Mm. And the safety assessment is purely for the protection of the school. Now, that may sound at first sane until you realise that you're actually teaching the dangers of the countryside that exist and not the values of the countryside. It's like going on to a farm. A farm is a dangerous place. Well, excuse me, there's no life without risk. Mm -hmm. Risk is there. And if you get a kid like me that does the exact opposite of what their parents say, then you cannot blame the parent. You have to blame me and you cannot blame the school. But of course we would blame the school. Therefore the school is not going to do it quite right wisely within a general within a world of which everybody sues one another yeah and unfortunately that's a problem at the minute everyone's looking for the blame everyone's looking for this the point of saying little timmy is even though he's like maybe a troublemaker he might be a little rebel but then they could say like this yep the school's fault not so it's not it's it's the beauty of a child that has to explore the mind has to explore the earth has to explore who they are and too many kids now are bottled up in society and they can't express themselves and unfortunately that leads to an expressionless society where everyone has to take opinions from the hierarchy which such as a school and in that school then they'll be just creating sheep-like mentality where you just need to follow the rules just engage in civil action and not explore what it really means to be human on this planet yes but isn't that the purpose of government mm. Which is to control. If you have power, uh, then your desire is to always control absolutely. And part of the process is the diet that we have of uh, misinformation uh, and also the box systems that I referred to earlier. Because most of our children are, are much more subject to um, streaming or uh, an academic view of life rather than an explorative view of life. So we're not preparing uh, children for not going into an academic world. Mm-hmm. We need more engineers, 
we need more farmers, but we're not going to get more farmers because the land is controlled by agribusiness and by corporations. Mm -hmm. We're not going to get much more technology of an independent view. You you couldn't today uh, have the creator, say, of Austin or Morris or um, uh, even of hand-built motor cars. You can't start today because the system is stacked against you. So you have to generally come into a corporate view. And if you're not in a corporate view, you are often um, sidelined and sidelined in education. Mm. That's for sure. When I'm, sorry, Dan, I was just going to say, you strike me as I'm someone like how you were, when you were younger, you you wanted to um, have that, you had that like, that risky idea, that like little cheeky chap mentality. And that's what I'm getting from you, by the way, the, the vibe. Um, and I was just thinking that you've grown up to be a very successful person. And did you use that to be like your creative outlook on life? I mean, yeah, uh, I, th- I think I think that's the difference between myself and the youth of today. Um, I was taught, let, let's take a, a, a subject which very common at right at this moment is paedophilia. Now, I was told that the world is full of dirty old men. You don't take sweets from strangers. Mm-hmm. So when I was about seven and I went uh, down with my friends um, uh, to fields, because we were lucky enough to go into fields, and we saw a tramp lying there exposing himself. Um, we thought that was great fun, ran away, knew exactly what was going on. So we were educated, if you like, we knew what was there, mm-hmm. and it was reported to our parents and it was then dealt with. Um, I'm not sure that today the generation is prepared enough even to know what the limitations are and that there's good and there's bad or there's morality or not morality. And I accept that the morality is governed by culture, but um, that's why I think my generation is different. Um, Risk, um, I've got myself into terrible trouble, I think, um, by doing things I should not. But it has given me the ability to understand what life is about and the value of life and the value of things that, and that was that was a very and that's what we all need to go through we all need to go through that process of of faults to in order to pick ourselves up to see what i mean i don't know what you did but in order we need to grow through the hard times and ultimately that would lead you to the person you are today well yes absolutely because it's quite it's a question of discipline um i i'm told that life was easy for my generation um, I had to borrow, uh, when I first got my first mortgage, I had to borrow money from my mother-in-law, who I really didn't like. Um, I had to take out a second um, sort of insurance to make sure that I paid. And to do that, I had to main job during the day. I had to do early morning office cleaning, and I also had to do bread lorry filling. And I did that for three or four years. I don't consider that was an easy, no. easy life. Um, that that was blooming hard work. But I was determined to get what I wanted. That was it. It was the determination um, that I had learned. I suppose that the value of discipline and the value of discipline on yourself. Mm-hmm. I love that, and you learned that from an early age as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. Just to jump back to before, a point I had before about um, to, on the organic farming sense of it and sustainability for the planet, do you think as a species we need to actually adopt an, an, a new model and maybe a new model that's actually more in touch with um, well, I, natural I think balance if, if you look nature? at the United Nations, a much maligned society, um, it, and the food and agricultural side of it, uh, they have put forward nutrition. They they have tried to have a, um, education on soil. Uh, they are trying to not encourage GM material. They are trying to encourage farmers um, to use traditional methods and maintain the social structures. Uh, few people realize, for example, that um, uh, when they buy free uh, free trade products that that sometimes too can also cut across cultures 
because at the end of the day, uh, many of the middlemen, because free trade, the organisation itself, becomes a middleman in effect. Yes, it raises the standard of some people, but by the same token, the trade routes uh, and the nasty middlemen, as they're often described, of course, then uh, lose out. And that's when you begin to change the structure of society. The United Nations realises that the social changes that have come about within the 20th century have not been to the benefit of mankind and certainly not to the benefit of the environment. Um, uh, even at your ages, you will have seen that there are less butterflies and less birds. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. Not, yeah, and yet, when Carson wrote Silent Spring, the place was full of them. Yeah. And she noticed a downturn. Now what do we do? Well, we'll put it out to another university, which the RSP will probably fund, uh, to do a study. And when we've done that study, we come to every, which every academic knows that wonderful phrase, which is, we need more research, which actually boils down to the fact we need more money. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So, I mean, that's what it means. And nothing's being done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the I think the West, in particular, is appalling at doing things. It's very good at telling us what the problem is. But because agribusiness has us by the throat, we can't actually go backwards in your term, and we can't go forward in my way, because what are we going to do? Are we going to follow the Corbyn principle of nationalised land? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. That's just not going to happen, even though it might be a good thing to start subsidising smaller farmers. Common agricultural policy, absolute disaster for small and family farms. Wonderful if you have acreage, because really you're just creaming it in. But you are also then changing the social structure, which is exactly what the common agricultural policy was designed to do supposedly to upgrade the farmer, the working farmer, the family farmer, from a poor social position, otherwise called a peasant, into being a wonderful cleaner or hop picker or a restaurant uh, waiter. That's the way it's gone. Mm -hmm. It might sound harsh, it might sound sarcastic, but look at the facts. What's happened in a country like Romania or Poland? mass emigration not only of their doctors and nurses needing for our hospital well excuse me which peasants paid for their doctors so why are they over here it was the peasant taxes that paid for them they're here we're changing the social structure and fabric of society when you were saying before about um, you made the point about how you said at one point in time you would look around there'd be loads of insects and Loads of, you yeah. said all the butterflies and stuff. Uh, is that a big concern for you at the moment? Because it's, it's a big concern for me, and it's, I know it's been um, raised on a, on many different people. I think it was David Attenborough who said that about the, the bee situation, about if bee, bees yeah. go in the next five bees years, we'll be dead. Is, I mean, do, you, uh, do you see a solution for that, or and do you think that's a big problem that we face? Do you mean the bees particularly? All insects in general, really, because I, I think that's... Well, yes, every it is insect's because, important. Be, because for a fact, we, we were... Our relationship with nature is no different than it is to green men from Mars. If it moves and buzzes or stings us, we kill it. Mm-hmm. That's what we do mm. as, a, as a race. We, we don't really understand it. Um, I think that uh, as a gardener, I hate cabbage white butterflies because they strip my cabbages. I think we don't ask why or how and what can I do about it. A little bit of netting over my cabbages stops that, for example. But the majority of us will reach for our spray can and kill them. Uh, That's a problem that we see with all insects. Uh, Insects, uh, this is what I was saying about young people. Uh, It's ridiculous that young people don't see beetles walking around their life. They don't see flies running around their life. Now, if we see a fly, we have to kill it because it carries germs. Mm-hmm. Well, fine, okay. It's carried germs for the last millennia, exactly. and we're still here. I'm sorry, we're still here. Yeah, exactly. And my immune system is crushed by sanitation. 
all our immune systems are. I accept perfectly well that in the 20th century, last part of the 19th century, our better understanding of the disposal of our own detritus mm. has actually improved our health, far more than medicine, actually. Mm. And that we're cleaner, we understand things better. But now we're actually reversing it because we now understand there are more bacteria cells cells in our body, bacteria in our body than there are cells in our yeah, body. That's really so now we stand and say, hey, what's all this bacteria about? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we need to start cultivating. We start need to look back at the fungi. We need to start look at how we can feed the world. Maybe, I don't know, there's a magic mushroom that actually does the job of nutrition rather than making us feel so happy. <laughs> I, I lost my trailer thought. I was going to say it again. Oh, what was I going to say? I had an interesting point I want to ask you. Oh, yeah. When you were talking about how um, certain people don't even see um, this world around us, like insects and beetles, yeah. like you said, and stuff like that. What, and like you said about how people, you, you were clever enough to just think of a quick solution. Instead of killing the insect, you thought, here's a different viable way around it that still helps me but it also still is in balance with nature as well like you just put a net over that's all you did mm-hmm. why do you think that we are because i've tried to question this i don't know what it is why are we as a race why are we so deceptible to just be to just do things that, like carelessness like not really thinking not really just not looking at the long term yeah, long term picture of the planet we just instantaneously just want to just we, oh, we don't right. see we have like tunnel vision and everything we do The question I'd ask you is, and I'll come back to it, so I don't want it answered, is who's the we, first of all? But I would like to pick up on a point you, you're making indirectly there about plastics. Plastics are not a problem. Now, that's a commercial, mm-hmm. controversial statement, isn't it? Plastics yeah, it's are not a problem. They're not a problem. The bottle did not walk into the ocean. The bottle did not walk onto the beach. We have to understand that the pollution that we have is mostly man-made. Now the solution, it can also be possible. Um, microplastics, etc., all these sorts of things, people are just beginning to realize, I think, how useful plastics are. Okay, let's go ahead and ban plastics. We wouldn't be having this conversation. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have the same shoes on we probably got, and our watches wouldn't be the same, and. Uh, uh, you know, the underwear of most women would certainly not be the same. So when we start thinking about what plastics are, we realise that it's something that we have to learn to dispose of properly. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Yeah. We haven't learned to dispose of them. So it's, it's no good encouraging children, as I saw on the TV, this is partly your point, of saying, ah, oh, plastics are bad, I've collected them, we need to get rid of plastics. That is not the point. The point is, mm. how do we dispose of the plastics? And young person, will you please start thinking in terms of technology or in chemistry or biology or whatever turns you on to live with plastics and clean the plastics that we currently have. Mm-hmm. And by the way, um, there's a lot of plastic in makeup, so I blame women for... Uh, not just cool. microbeads, but cleaning the, themselves the <laughs> with, these, with these little pad things which are generally not cotton, then disposing of them badly. Uh. We come back to the problem of pollution is disposing by human beings. We're, we're awfully dirty in grubber. We chuck bicycles in rivers, think nothing of it, do we? Yeah, no. Now you tell me why we do that, because yeah, you use the word know. we. I mean it myself as well. When I say we, I don't just mean... Yeah. In general, I mean, I'm, I'm understand of my own um, my own contradictions in my life. I mean, I try and zo- zoom out in as much as I can and things that I do. I mean, even the clothes I wear now, everything really around us is have contradictions to to my being. So I'm trying. I mean, when I say we, I mean myself as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so we do try. But I've driven along, and as I'm sure many people have done, my plaque of sandwiches on my so I've eaten them going along. What do I do with the pack? Wind the window down, look in the mirror, and chuck it out. I've done that. Why? And I've said to myself afterwards, because you're a lazy bugger, that's number one. Mm. 
Number two, you did that deliberately because you looked in your mirror to make sure that nobody was going to say that you're a bad boy. Yeah. I didn't want to feel bad doing it, yeah. but I still did it. And that is a fault with us as human beings. And then we have to stop it. That's why we come back to the social structure. When I was a kid, if I did that, what would happen? My mother would make me pick it up. Mm-hmm. It's nobody to make me pick it up. It's interesting though how that. Um, I love that point, by the way. I just try. I was trying to analyze something in my head because you said it's a societal structure. I think is that what the word you use? Societal mm-hmm. structure. Yeah. It's interesting because if you're in a city, I, I think that's more, more that's more likely going to happen. But what I've noticed if I go to the Lake District or something like that, somebody is willing to pick that up straight away. Or if I see litter, I'm willing to pick that litter up. Yeah. Like it's it's weird yeah. how that different environments are different whatever it is it's just it's have you ever analyzed you, you become that anyway? more respectful of something yeah but we you can't always put your finger on why you become more respectful but what it does say then following your reasoning if what you were saying is right then we are not respectful of an urban built-up society so then does that because we're not designed to be in it are we that's what i was just about to say yeah is that is that could be the reason why maybe we detach from it because it's not really who we are no and it's to why ma- majority of people try to have at the back of their mind some uh, utopian view that there is a country cottage somewhere or other that they can eventually retire to. Uh, but we have to make the cities that we live in. More, yeah. yeah. So how are we going to do that without social rev- rev- revolution at this moment? I mean, I, I, we can't. I don't think we can. No, I mean, I stood on the platform today and I made myself laugh because. Having got to the sort of conversation we're talking about, I thought to myself, God, I sound just like Lenin and Trotsky. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what you're asking for, in effect, is some form of social revolution. And are we going to get it? We we see the move of the right in Europe, um, part of nationalism, and that's, that's understandable when smaller people or smaller countries cannot determine their own future. Mm. Mm. So. It is a piece coming with, um, like nationalism itself, is, but it's even becoming a rise in Germany, one of the most um, most agricultural set countries in the world. I mean, like financially, they are top dogs, really, in the European yes. market, and they're even looking at nationalism. Could it just be media frenzy as well? Could that play a huge part in it? Uh, well, me- media is responsible for the misinformation, generally speaking, yes, of course. Um, have we learned to live with it? Um, have we learned to... Have we learned to um, watch the BBC and immediately switch to Russia Today and then say, OK, what do I believe? <laughs> Whom do I believe? Uh, uh, until we do that, uh, we become victims of, of the media. We've only really got ourselves to blame. Mm-hmm. I learned exactly. that when I lived in Ireland because, of course, the troubles were on in the north and I was living in the south, so I used to look at RTE, uh, the Irish um, broadcasters, and watch BBC, and I got two different stories. So as I had two different stories, that was the first time I realised that, hang on, my mind is being bent. I'm not being caught like that again. Mm-hmm. So I look at a... In the news world, I look at a wide spectrum of media about important issues, not about the dog down the road, but uh, when it comes to Syria and places like that, I like to get a broad spectrum. Yeah, definitely. What's your What's your views on um, uh, global warming? What do you think about that? <clears throat> what do I think of global warming? Well, it's interesting that you use the term global warming. Uh, I'm not sure I agree about global warming. Mm. I do agree about climate change. I would like to change that. I mean, the, the evidence is out in many ways. Uh, obviously, some things are going wrong. That, that's very, very clear to, to anybody. Whether, whether it's warming or not, I mean, we're looking at the degrees and one degree or two degrees will do this, we'll do that. Um, I think if you look at nature itself... Um, even in a in a drought situation and dryness, nature has a habit of look, looking after itself and adapting. So, a principal point of of I know it's not uh, the main thought of life of Darwinism and um, the origin of species, etc. But nevertheless, adaptation is there, mm. and adaptation can be very quick. 
So I would wait to uh, wait to see. Again, I, I, I find as I get older, I'm getting very sceptical. I was um, uh, listening, uh, when I was in San Francisco, I was listening to, I um, can't remember his name, one of the Kennedys anyway, uh, that's very big into the global warming. Bobby Kennedy. Yeah, global warming. And uh, I noticed that it was heavily biased to the democratic view. I was going to say that, you have to have yeah. realised as well. So I thought, well, I'm, you know, what you say is true, but please don't tell me that that's um, only a polar bear is going to drown because they're very good swimmers and um, they know where the Canadian mainland is. So let's see how many polar bears there are in Canada before I start getting too excited about it. Mm -hmm. Now, that sounds to many people very caustic and very challenging, but I'm sorry, that's what we should be doing, is trying to stop being manipulated with sound bites and try to understand what's going on and then try to contribute something. Do you think as well with global warming, because, I mean, it's not it is sort of linked, but it's not directly linked, but I've read a few books on... um, a guy called um, Ronald Carlson, he's called, who did like uh, a lot of research on glacier displacement and stuff yeah. like that. And um, mm. I know Graham Hancock, he talks about how indigenous cultures in the past, they understood that on a cosmic level, like there is cycles that we don't understand that are going on all the time. Yeah. Could you think that could be one of the reasons as well? That plays yeah, into absolutely. That? There, there are massive cycles. Yeah. Um, if you take um, James Love, Lovelock, I... Um, the Gaia hypothesis in, it, in its roundness and look at what he said about Daisy World he, he said that Daisy World will continue to exist but it will get rid of us basically yeah. that's the point and there seems to be some logic to that uh, conclusion because we are the people that are, are causing the imbalance one way or another yeah. maybe just to sort of bring this podcast to an end if you could maybe sort of um, give sort of three maybe three things to to people now to that they can Im- try and implement straight away in their life to try and live a more sustainable life could or maybe three things that you've implemented in your life that's been a huge thing could you really give three try and give yeah three I, mean, I mean um unbelievably for me i bought a hybrid car mm. that's a big deal for me mm-hmm. um because i couldn't get my um land rover style that I wanted so I downsized (laughs) (laughs) some people may not call it but I did I downsized and I'm very happy and I get in that car and I travel and I think I have done 66 next time I'm going to do 78 Uh, my highest is 99.9 and I'm desperate to get 100 (laughs) So it's actually something small like that is made in a very small way and it has improved my bank balance immensely. It really has. So that's one small thing. The other thing is that I do in my garden, smallish garden, um, it's in the countryside but it's uh, modern development so it's not huge, but I do not use garden chemicals. I use only organic materials, mostly seaweeds, uh, humic uh, products um, rather than trying to use straight fertilizers and chemical fertilizers that's a small thing the other thing I try to do is in everyday life is to influence the influencers I'm lucky because I meet a lot of people for example in one brand I particularly work with I'm trying to get them to have a corporate strategy and say yes it's wonderful to see this new plastic flooring that you put in and you forgot to look at low level energy lighting. Let's have a corporate strategy. That can be done in the home exactly the same way. It can be done in the school. And school children in particular should, I think in their teenage years, be concentrating heavily upon thinking of ways of change, of improvement of change. I love the idea of picking up plastic bottles and getting involved, but that's the media pushing us into one thing. We really need to have some sort of revolutionary thinking, some better appreciation of one another's talents and abilities, and cultivate those. 
some may call that elitism. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a nasty thing to do. Unfortunately, there are some people that are much more clever than me, and I try my level best to support them and not criticize them or drag them backwards into the past, but rather into the future. Oh, wow. Well, what, what a, a lovely place to What a place to finish. Wow. John, what thank you. Podcast. Thanks ever so You much. are a very, very interesting man, by the way. This one, this one. You. <laughs> thank you so much for that. What a thank great Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Jan was really an interesting guy and gave such a different, unique perspective as he's somebody who is of the older generation and he'll not like to say that. But anyway, he is in his late 80s and he has lived a lot in the world. And in general, we just love chatting to many different people who are asking many different questions about the human experience and at the same time bringing these conversations to your ears. So I hope you liked that podcast with Jan. And if you want to also send over a quick 15 to 20 second audio snippet, which we played at the beginning of the podcast, basically just saying who you are, what you're up to, and where in the world you're located, all you need to do is send that over to us, and you can send that through our our email, Facebook page, or wherever else. And if this podcast is an important part of your consciousness or week, and you are getting some value or entertainment, it would be really appreciated if you could just consider supporting the podcast for our Patreon page. And alternatively, you can also now donate directly too. We had a lot of people asking for that, so we've put that in place. Also as well, just want to mention as well, which a lot of people don't realise, that these podcasts are now available in the video format on our YouTube page. So if you want, you can see our beautiful faces. So anyway, we love you all. Thanks for listening to this thing. We honestly do have some amazing conversations coming up. We're both striving to improve so that we can bring you the best conversations we can and the most interesting people we can bring to you. We really do appreciate you all and it means the world that there is also other people out there who would want to engage in interesting alternative shit. So anyway, peace and love.